Today is Tuesday, July 11th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. We begin meeting some guy, Namor, Namor, and uh, his mission is to take Christianity to people of Islam, to Muslims, and he he shares his quick uh, five or, I don't know, ten minute maybe approach on how to do that. We get into it a little bit, and then we uh, we turn to um, intent and deception, and is this like man's wisdom, like Paul talks about, or spiritual discernment versus man's wisdom? How some conversations, you know, we see, uh, and we want to answer, we want to entertain all questions, all questioners. That's the point of the Ask a Christian stage, is I don't care if you're trolling, I don't care where you're coming from. Um, I, I want to answer your question. Whether or not you're sincere, somebody out there surely wants to know the answer to it, and they are sincere. But when it becomes like a, tr- a teaching seminar, or someone wants to monologue, we don't care, right? We've been down there. We've heard it. We get it. We just disagree. It's not called debate a Christian. You can go do that. And by the way, I mean, I, I say that sounds all high. Like, oh, we don't want to debate. We, we debate constantly. But that's not the goal. The primary purpose is you ask us your question. You tell us we're Christianity, what you misunderstand about it, or uh, if we it's a misconception, we'll clear that up for you. So we're not trying to force anyone to believe it, but if you're not going to believe Christianity, you can at least have a correct understanding of it. That's the whole point. So I don't need to have, quote, a correct understanding of Hebrew Israelism, for example. Um, I, I think I have a pretty pretty good understanding of it. I just wholeheartedly disagree with it. Um, anyway, if I really wanted to know about the inner workings of Hebrew Israelism, I would go seek someone out and ask them to teach me. Um, anyways, but... I'm at peace with Jesus of the Bible. That's what I believe is right. That's what I espouse. That's what I confess. And I'm good with that. Um, Anyway, so when someone's intent seems less than pure and it goes beyond just asking a simple question and goes beyond a little back and forth and becomes, oh, let me me give you a little acorn. So find this acorn. Here's an acorn. Go read this scripture verse that's very obscure. Go read this. Oh, here's another little... breadcrumb. Go ahead and follow this one. Go ahead and follow this one. And by the time uh, it's like, okay, I, I discern you or my gut tells me you're dishonest as the day is long, especially in like Alaska for six months where it's all, all daylight. Um, so just fast walk us to this. What's the point? Let's just say I agree with everything you're saying. Just get to the end. Are you trying to tell me like Christians are bad or Christians are dumb or there is no Trinity? Like just, just jump to the end. So that's what I, I don't want to have time for. Again, we still find ourselves entertaining this stuff way more than we'd like to, but the goal is to be like, okay, I don't care what position you're coming from for a question, just simple, ask it, we'll tell, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it. But if it goes beyond that, and and you have like this in, intent that's like to deceive, and get this like, ha-ha, got you Christians moment, I don't want to have time for that. I've got like five minutes tops for that. Uh, anyways, then why Hebrew Israelism? Somebody asked the question, they apparently were from from Norway and just discovered this group of people who are uh, Hebrew Israelites self-espoused. Um, so they, we, we go through a quick uh, description as, as what that is. Um, anyways, then we talk about Matt Walsh's recent controversial post about why men should not cry in the firestorm that ensued. And, um, there was only only like one w- w- voice of a woman present, so don't want it to sound like we're totally hating women. <laughs> but there there was some fair, um, tempered, and on the other side positions of men too. So stay tuned for that. Should men cry? And then struggles in the black community. Don't worry, I mostly listen. I don't talk a lot about this subject. Uh, but some of our other people talk about um, uh, 
struggles in the black community and why that is and conservatism and going back in, in decades and previous generations and what the state of things were then versus what the state of things are now. So you can listen and uh, you can follow them for more if you like. One was our, our friend Brandon Nero, uh, one was Apostle Sean, and the other was D. Noel. Anyway, so if you'd like to hear more from them, um, stay tuned. They show up all the time. So if you have any questions about that or them, email askachristianclub at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy this podcast. Uh, share these links and follow, like, hit the little bell, what all, wherever you find this thing. Check out the Ask a Christian book. It's still free to read on Amazon with Kindle Unlimited subscription uh, to encourage civil dialogue and why and the, the tactics to use. Not like gotcha tactics, like tactics to just have peaceful dialogue. Like if someone is yelling and screaming, there's a tactic for that. Spoiler, it's not to yell and scream back. Uh, but there's different ways of de-escalating. That, that's what we mean, right? So there's no secret. There's nothing hidden. Um, it's just like, well, you know you want to de-escalate. How can you do that? There's a couple different things you can do. Um, anyway, so you can also check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt. Support what we do. Support us sharing the gospel to people on the internet. Grab a t-shirt and you can join us and help sh people share the gospel. Well, I guess face to face because people will definitely stop you and be like, why do you have a giant cross on your shirt that says you have answers? Um <laughs> Or um, you can also, if you want to be a little more incognito, click the donate link and just support us financially because that is welcome too. Internet bills are not free. Um, take care, everyone. Have an awesome Tuesday. We'll see you next time. From Mohammedans. And so, so that's mostly, do you do that on Clubhouse or? I, I started doing some of it on Clubhouse, but traditionally I did it on Facebook just basically to educate the Christians. In other words, I would engage Mohammedans in a question-type a question type situation while simply asking them questions. And then as they post their responses and my further questions or responses, I would have a private group where I would educate Christians so that they can get uh, gain insight from the way I do my approach, which is kind of different than uh, the approaches a lot of Christians do on Facebook. From my observation, and this is what motivated me to start this, is Christians are absolutely terrible at defending their faith against Muslims. Terrible. So I said, okay, maybe they need some help. So that's when I volunteered. And I started teaching my approach and why I use my approach. And I got kind of popular doing that. Uh, one of the top uh, polemists against Islam, Lloyd DeYoung, even contacted me uh, so we could talk. And him and I became good friends. I consider his work against Islam as being the most important work I've ever seen. Uh, dealing with the chronic manuscripts, I do give Jay Smith a lot of credit. So even though, and I and I people like Jay Smith and others add to the synergy. Uh, but to me, the main focal point is the research being done by Lloyd Dion. So I Lloyd will do. He's recently been working with Sam Shimon. Uh, he will call me to ask for my feedback and analysis on how it's going. And I will go ahead and tell him, you know, strong points. If there's any weak points, I'll bring that out. And so far, we've been quite successful.
you know. So if, yeah. if I say I'm a Muslim, what's what's one of the first things you uh, you say to that? Well, the first thing I don't do is dump scriptures on them. I don't talk at them. I don't lecture him. I especially will not do the scripture dump that I see many Christians do. I start with baby steps, and you have to understand what it's like to be in a Muslim's mind. Okay, Muslims are not allowed to question anything. They are not allowed to believe anything that's coming out of your mouth. And they are designed to ignore and judge and mock all your evidence. So we start with the first premise. In Islam, for a Christian to understand Muslims, he first has to study the Sharia, the books of fiqh, the books or the manuals of sacred Islamic law. This will tell you exactly how they think. It would tell you their tactics. It would tell you why they do the things that they do. That's puzzling to a lot of Christians that are new at this. So when I <clears throat> see a Muslim, some people think I'm angry. No, I'm not angry. It's just that I understand the culture of effective communication against Muslims. There's like rules of the game that most Christians are completely clueless about. So if you don't know the rules of the game, in the Muslim mind, you lose by default. Okay? So Lloyd and I, we talked about this. We're in total agreement. I think Lloyd has been pretty amazed by me in this sense. That's why he contacted me. He said it took him years to get this across at Christians. I caught it instantly. And um, so we have been extremely successful. Now, I'll uh, give you an illustration of this. Since Muslims are not allowed to ask questions, then my goal is simply to fill their heads full of questions. They're not because allowed to question ask questions about, about what? About, um, about their anything. Yes, they're not allowed to question their religion. They can be killed for that. The Sharia tells us that Islam is a violent mind control cult. If you question Islam publicly that causes anyone to have doubt, you can be killed for that. You are now considered an enemy of Islam. Okay? You cannot question Islam. You cannot question the morality of their prophet Muhammad. If you do that, they will kill you. Even as a Christian, if you are in a, in a land that's ran strictly by the Sharia, and you question the morality of Muhammad, they will absolutely kill you. Okay, so what happens is, since they're not allowed to ask questions or question Islam, then my goal is to do it for them by filling their heads full of questions. Now, when you dump a bunch of scriptures on a Muhammadan, and the reason why I say Muhammadan is because Facebook likes that term. Uh, Muslims must follow Muhammad. If they don't, they're, they're apostates, they're out of Islam, and they can be killed for apostasy. So it's obligatory that they follow Muhammad, they submit to Muhammad. Muhammad is their intercessor between them and Allah. Allah does not forgive them unless they go through Muhammad first. This is clearly brought up 
in the Quran. I believe it's 0, 065, 24, and 25, or 0, 06. I have to look it back up. But anyway, so in life, and this is the way this is the way I progress in life. I don't look for answers. Answers are di dime a dozen. The world is full of answers. What I look for is the right question, because the right question will lead me to the right answer. Okay, so while Muhammadans can easily ignore scripture dumps, you know, oh, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and then you get this slew of scriptures being dumped on this guy. It's going through one ear and out the other. He's not paying that no attention. But it's impossible for him to forget a strong question. When most Muslims come to Christ, it's not because of scripture dumps. It's because somebody asked them the right question. And that question got stuck in their head and they couldn't shake it off. And eventually that led them to Christ. See? So what's like the Another, top three questions you like to give them to ask? It, it's a variety. I've seen uh, especially a few Muslim women actually offered to to um, follow me. They wanted to get stink because they told me I, I had never explained it to them. There's a number of questions. It just depends on the situation. Like, like one question I've asked is why is it that you can't call Allah your spiritual father? Tell us. Because see, in Islam, Allah is a father to no one. All you can be in Islam is a slave, not a servant. Sometimes they'll try to lie and deceive and say, oh, no, we're servants. No, slaves. Why is it that you cannot call Allah your spiritual father? <clears throat> and the answer to that question, for your benefit, Nate, is because their Allah does not love them. See, no, there's no requirement to love a slave. Okay, and they're not heirs of anything. The Bible's clear that if you are a slave, you are heir of nothing. Okay, so <clears throat> this is the question I would ask them. Now, they can't run to the Quran that says, okay, Allah begets not, nor is he begotten, blah, blah, blah. I say, I say Muhammadan, I'm not asking about biological father, biological son. I said, why is it that you can't call Allah? Well, good morning, Dee and Chris. Well, uh, you got a phone call. We'll see if that was important. No, I, 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 I'm going to call her back. <clears throat> say, why is it that you cannot call Allah your spiritual father? So that's one type of question. Sometimes when they quote John 17, 3, to try to prove that Jesus is not God. And see, I don't talk Trinity with the Muhammadans. And the reason why is because their Allah is not the God of the Bible. Their Allah cannot be a Trinity. So when you say Jesus is God, in their mind, you're saying Jesus is Allah. Well, you know, rightfully, they're going to reject you on that because Allah is not the God of the Bible. So, yeah, you're just talking nonsense to them. And your, and your biblical proof text means nothing to them, okay? So I start with baby steps. I say, Muhammadan, 
does the Bible teach that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes or no? <clears throat> and believe me, I've had them, I've spent four hours with a few of them, and they will not answer me. Okay, which is fine. Okay, because I will humiliate them for not answering my question. Not because I'm mean, it's because it's the rules of the game. In their culture, I win. They lose. It's whoever's on the offensive. And the person that asks the questions is on the offensive. The person who has to answer the questions is on the defensive. Okay? They know I'm on the offensive because I'm controlling the situation with questions. Another reason why I don't believe in presenting evidence to Muhammadans is because who do you present evidence to? You present evidence to the judge. So when you're presenting evidence to a Mohammedan that he's not asking you for, you're making him the judge, and he's going to judge you. He's going to mock you. He's going to ridicule you because now you're the one on the defense. He's the one on the offense. You make him your judge, yeah, he's going to judge, mock, and humiliate you. He's going to ignore your evidence. So when I ask the question, I become the judge. Because whatever answer he gives me, I'm going to judge him. And because he's answering my question, that means he is in a defensive, submission, uh, submitted, submitted position. He's in submission to me, which means I am winning because I'm the one asking the questions. This is why when a Muhammadan comes on the stage, the first thing, I got, I, got to ask, I, got, I got some questions I need to ask. That's a tactic because it puts them on the offensive, puts you on the defensive. They're going to ignore, every, ignore, ignore everything you say and humiliate you, and then they're going to bounce, okay? So what I do is oh, when I oops. say... Sorry, one second. Uh, give me one second. Sorry about that. I, let me bring you back. I, I, accidentally, I accidentally hit the wrong button, and uh, it kicked me out and made you a model. Let me bring you back up. But, yeah, I, I was trying to say... I was trying to hit the unmute yeah. button. No problem. That is interesting, but since we got a lot more people in the room... I'd like to I'd like to get some more people talking, but that is interesting, and I yeah, would like to that gives hear my little it quick like feedback. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to, if you want to continue with me on this on a later date, that's fine. I know this is not the topic uh, emphasis of your group, so God bless you, Nate. I'm gonna. It's let interesting you guys to. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, though, because a lot of times, I mean, you know, the whole point of this room is to be on the defensive, right? Because we never know who's going to come or what kind of questions we're going to get. So, like, the whole point of this room, like, we kind of are on the defensive, um, which is kind of weird. So, I'd, I'd be interested at a later time maybe to talk to you and uh, see how you'd yeah. be in a defensive room. And then, my, I mean, I guess you parting, just turn it around and start asking them questions. But that yeah, will be for a later time. my parting statement is, is yeah. that because you take the defensive position in most people's eyes and i'm not saying this as an insult i'm just saying this is culture this is this is human nature if you're on the defensive that means you are in a position of weakness and you're losing because why are you on the defensive and not them because you didn't ask any questions you did not That's take a good control point. unless it's a That's just a thought god bless you nate I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye for now. Don't run off. It was good to meet you. Oh, it sounds like. Take care. What's sir. up, Michael? Hey, sorry. I didn't mean to jump the line. Um, yeah, so um, I'm not sure I've disagreed with anybody more on this stage, Nate. Um, oh. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, with which part? Oh, and then he, he left. Oh. Well, that's too bad. Well, which, which part would you disagree most? 
Um, that if you take that, if you, if you're in a position where you're answering questions, you're in a position of weakness. I, th- I think that's preposterous. Um, it, you know, part of a, I think part of an, an intellectually honest dialectic is having a back and forth. Um, you know, and, and he said something very, although I'm not surprised because I, I'd be curious to hear just how many Cy Tim Brugenkate videos he's watched. Because uh, he said, like, he, he puppeted Sai Ten in a lot of what he said. And I've spent a good deal of time talking to Sai. Um, so it was, it was very interesting. But, but I think it's, I, I would say to everybody who's, who, who's listening now and who will listen later, I would suggest not to take the advice of, of Namor uh, too much. Because um, I, think it's a, I think his suggestions are a really good way to shut down conversation, not encourage them. That and well, it's not Chris, biblical yeah, anymore. It's not uh, what's biblical. That Which it's part? not biblical. Can you hear me? Yes. I, I was I just saying the not... the questioning thing or the conversation thing, what what specifically is not biblical? Um his conversation of being on the defense and not asking answering questions is not biblical. Um I mean, even in my PTR, first Peter three fifteen says the complete opposite of what he just said. So um if you don't have a reason for your faith or you can't answer simple questions then what do you believe in it for? And I think this is why this is a good room. Um, But I wanted to come up here and say, Nate, I blame you um, because I got (laughs) in a room maybe about five minutes ago and I got stuck with an atheist who thought that child molesters should probably be in jail and um, for every porn picture they see of a child maybe get two more days instead of it was completely crazy um and I got stuck there because I was waiting for your room to open and that was his form of justice like you could get two more days and watch child porn and no one's being hurt but what about the kid I mean it he ended it right after Chris left before that even happened and I got stuck there because your room didn't open up early enough and so I'm here now I'm sorry I failed you. Yeah, going back just a little bit. Fail us all. Go ahead and give us your... Fail us all, Nate. All right. Well, that's our share of Chris. All right. Um, (laughs) Well, backing up a little bit. Yeah, that guy said he never met me and I never met him before. But, I mean, I... Like, he started off before you guys got here talking about some stuff I I mean... I didn't disagree with because I didn't know anything about it. Like, you know, talking... He said his primary thing is talking to Muslims and stuff, and he started, like, going down a bunch of, you know, you need to know this and this and this, which is, like, Islam stuff, which I don't really care that much about, like, specific texts and scripts and things like that. Um, so I, I think a lot of that, like, sure, sounded fine. I mean, I, I'd be curious to see what some of our people who normally go into Muslim rooms and talk to them about it to see what they say, because they're more well-versed in, in, you know, going down the hadiths and stuff like that. Um but I mean, I, I think he was coming at this partly from, you know, like people in Muslims like can't can't question their own text. He's like, they can't ask questions. I'm like, wait, he must mean about their own uh, their own faith because they sure ask a lot about others. Um, and that is what he meant. But yeah, I mean, I agree. The first Peter three fifteen, and you know, always be ready for a hope. But it, it sounded kind of like a, a kind of like a. Um, I think Michael, what you pointed out, and we're kind of disagreeing with the most was. It sounded kind of like a precept, but not for God, a precept like against Islam. It was like kind of like modifying a precept argument, but then to take it to Islam and not just like, you know, the, the traditional precept for God. 
So it's yeah, like it, it's kind of, I got ten, tinges of that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Which is probably why you had an aversion to it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I. I yep. <laughs> so what's up, Chris? Where were you yesterday? Were you busy or at a work meeting or something like that? Yeah, I was doing a phone system. Super fun. Lots of phones lately. So, Dean, uh, yeah, I noticed you, you were on the stage uh, yesterday for a little bit. I, I think you were. At least you raised your hand. But I had to run away before uh, you got a chance to say anything. I forgot what we were talking about. I did have some uh, kind of Harold was trying to convert everyone to Unitarianism and show us Trinitarians <laughs> how dumb we are. He said something that, like, so I do agree that um, he said one thing that I agree with, and then it, it then it just kind of turned left. Um, there are a lot of people who don't know the arguments, and a lot of times I'm in the room and I don't know these arguments, but just being able to follow through um, the Bible, because I think Apostle was like, I'm just going to cite this verse, this verse, this, this, no, but you got to understand if the room needs to be edified because we're coming to ask a Christian, and there are literally like, I literally will hide my Bible and go through with um, the person just to read the argument. Um, like, it's probably good to go over uh, the verses, but I do understand, like, if somebody's trying to put you in a catch you, you know, I got you box, then that's kind of different. But, you know, just to hear the arguments so that someone can make their own decision on um, how the verse is read so that, like how you said, people will twist it up you can read it and say, okay, this person is not making sense. So I think that was right in aspect, but it was something he said that was just completely crazy. And then it kind of negated everything else he said. So I don't know. I can't remember what else he said. So that's, that's the reason why I came up there to say that don't work for me. But anyways, <laughs> D I'm curious. Well, we're glad you're here. D I'm yeah, curious. How often do you, how often do you find yourself in conversations specifically with uh, atheists um, where you where you get the impression or it, or it becomes evidently uh, obvious that they're trying to get you in a gotcha moment oh no I, that was Harold um, he's not an atheist um, I uh, am I feel like I'm always around atheists because of where I work at so um, you know, and they don't tend to kind of get the concept of the Bible because a lot of church hurt. So um, there's that. But I don't I don't really have conversations with them because of where I work at, um, unless the conversation comes up. And then, you know, that's when I speak to them. But for the most part, that's I just tend to listen. And then if someone says something that's just crazy, then I either I'll respond in the chat or come up to the stage. Interesting. <clears throat> All right. Well, what have we have today? Chris, who told you it was a dumpster fire yesterday? I didn't think it was a dumpster fire. I mean, sort of. Just some obstinance and some, some kind of, yeah, what Dee was saying. Like, we we're, were trying to be, like, very, very slow walked. And it's like, you need to read this scripture. Let's talk about scripture. And then let's hurry through, like, three different chapters and ignore context. It was kind of like you didn't have your patience pants on yesterday, Nate. 
It was, well, well, was it? I mean, I mean, I, I guess I could take some constructive criticism if, if it's needed. Was it a no, lack I, of patience pants or was it like, um, I don't know, just that deceptiveness, like goodness, like, oh, I just have a question. Oh, can you read these? Can you read these dumb Christian like you haven't read this before? I'm like, no, OK, I'll play this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think what it was was it was a really good illustration of what you and I chatted about before. And that's where the look, I already know where you're going with this. Like it, it was a really, really good explanation, like um, demonstration of that. Um, it, at least that that was my impression, because like even even I could see where he was going with it. Um, and so I, I understood I, I understood your frustration, but it was it, it was interesting because. Yeah, like it, it was one of those things I would have liked to have seen uh, like uh, had on video. Because I could almost see you kind of like like rolling your hands going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, just get there, just get there. Um, and it was, yeah, like it, like I said, it was easy for even for me to see where he was going with it. And so I, under, I understood it. But I think from an outsider's perspective, and that's what I said, you know, like patience pants, I think that's how it was perceived by others. For me, <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw what it was doing to you, if that makes sense. It does. And I mean, really, the part that got me was when he said, when he's like, uh, you just don't like going to the scripture. I can't believe you'd say it's bad, Nate. Like you say it's bad. Reading scripture is bad. I'm like, okay, that's that's like you just took a, th a football and just threw it so far past like the stadium. It's like off a cliff and into the ocean. I'm like, Nate's not saying like reading scripture is bad. So like I, I didn't uh, wasn't really happy to be like grossly misrepresented that way. So yeah, maybe I lost a little of my patience pants on that one. <laughs> I would uh, I would definitely agree with Michael. Um, Nate, there's so many people, like, I came to your room. I mean, the first time I came to your room, I was going in on your PTR. <laughs> so, you know, it's people who come into your room, they don't know you. They don't, you know, they come because they're Christians and they want to see these answers. And then when they they line up with what you believe in and you have someone that doesn't, they don't line up with and then you know, their first impression is, it sounds as if you don't want to go through the scripture, where maybe instead of um, doing that, because I know this is a quick room, this is like, all right, all right, we're going to go through things quickly, maybe setting up some parameters, like make your point in X amount of time, like, give me two scriptures, make your point or whatever you have to do so that, you know, you can get him together, because it's just knowing you, I know that you just don't have patience for that, but someone who doesn't, who doesn't, hasn't been in your rooms is not going to get that same um, perspective. They're going to get the perspective of what Michael just told you. So that's why just, you know, figure out how to balance that out. Well, Chris, see, I guess patience is not my gift, but um, where, where I don't necessarily yell and scream, I mean, maybe I did a little bit of um, abrasive talk yesterday, but um, where I don't usually yell and scream at people and tell them how dumb they are, um, maybe I, I lack patience to make up for it. I'm trying to get better at that. But I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess I got to stop fighting it, right? Because perception is reality. Not really. But I mean, you know, for practical matters, like how people all perceive something, they treat it as though it were real. I, I have to watch that one too, because as soon as I say perception is reality, no one apparently has heard that saying and knows what it means. They're like, it's technically not reality. I'm like, I know, it's just a saying. It means people are going to treat it as though it's real. Like for all intents and purposes, that's it, it. It's the way they're going to treat you as though it were real. Anyway, but it's, it's when, serious, like, it's 
I've had serious business meetings where people would say that and they genuinely mean it. Then that's the time to say that. <laughs> but, I'm just um, like, what? But uh, yes, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it, is it discernment or just like instincts or just common sense? Like, you know, if someone shows up like, I'm a Hebrew Israelite, uh, you know, Yah is not pleased with you. Let me show you why you're wrong. Go to Isaiah. It's like, well, that's not the same as like Yvette. Like, how many times has she been like, hey, I have a question or you or, or just stick around like later today. There'll be someone that's like not an obstinate heretic who's like, hey, I have a question about, you know, John three or, you know, John one or, you know, what does this mean? I'm like, oh, great. You're not a seed of Satan. OK, let's turn there. Let's go through the scripture. Hey, let's read the whole chapter. Let's read this in context. It's like the intent. Right. So I don't want to I don't want to have a Bible study. Um, you know, to Roy's credit, that was one of the things he, he said. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I don't do Bible studies with, I think he said atheists, but he meant non-Christians or non-believers. But he's like, I don't do Bible studies with non-believers because it's, it's just like, like what? The whole point, and you know, this is under the Ask a Christian Room, where the whole point is we'll tell you what we believe and why we believe it. It's not to go back and forth. So I, I don't care about your position. So maybe that means I'm smug or whatever, or it just means I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've Heard it all. We'll hear whatever you have to say. Like, we're not monsters. We'll let you do a little back and forth. But I don't need you to, you know, exegete your whole doctrines or, or whatever. Like, I, I've been down that road. Don't need it. Um, so it's like when we see that coming, it's like I don't want to have a Bible study with you so you can prove why you're so right and we're so wrong. I know what you're going to say. We just disagree. Um, so thanks for playing. Stop for, thanks for stopping by. But now let's move on to, you know, like Yvette or you or goodness, even Michael. That's got like a legitimate question because they don't understand something or like rab scuttle. Like he's been here before. He's like, I mean, you know, no one's going to say he's a Christian. Um, neither would he, but he's like, guys, I legitimately have a question about this verse and his intent seems sincere. I mean, you know, I doubt he's going to believe in a God because of it, unless God makes that happen. But you know, he wants to know for his own intellectual curiosity or whatever. And it doesn't seem like he's wanting to, to like convert us to some non-religion of a cult of his. So it's like, okay. So anyways, it, it seems like, even you, Chris, right? Like you, I mean, you entertain that stuff too. Like if someone you sense genuinely wants to know versus very, very slow crawling you to a conclusion to like, be like, okay, you're right. I'll be your slave now. Wait, I, yeah, that's when I lose my patience. Like when I know somebody is trying to draw in a trap, like, I'm just like, can you just cut to the chase? Like, I just don't have ah, I don't have patience for this. Right. Yeah. It's a trap. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I don't have patience for that. That was the guy who was talking about the child molestation, uh, jail, rap, whoever. So (laughs) I had to get out of his room. Yeah. It's funny. And, and I've seen it, like it it happens on both sides. Like I've seen it. uh, I've seen other atheists do it. uh, And I've seen, you know, many believers of different faith, not, you know, Christians don't hold a monopoly on this for sure. Uh, I've seen uh, believers of other faith traditions do it as well. And, and I, I, I don't want to say that it's, I don't want to say that it's dishonest, but at minimum, I think it's a, it's a, it's a touch on the shady side. Like just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like you're playing poker, right? And you're waiting to, you know, show your cards at the end, right? Just, just put the cards out on the table, like, uh, and and just, you know, add, ask the question or give the criticism or talk about, you know, whatever ABC thing, 
you can't reconcile because of XYZ, whatever that happens to be, and then just talk about it, right? Rather than trying to just... Because I think at the end of it, I, th- I think one of the motivations, and I think this is why, this is one of the reasons it, it makes me so angry, is I think in that process is the, and again, I don't want to call it desire, but it seems like you're trying to make the other person look stupid when you kind of spring the trap. Like they won't necessarily have an, like they, like, because it's possible that's that you could ask someone a series of questions. And when you get to the end, it's possible that you might not have an, an immediate answer, right? Like, let's say it's a, you know, it's on a nuanced position, so to speak. And you don't necessarily have an answer at that particular time. Um, and because there are those that aren't content with, I don't know, right? Or I'll have to look into that. I'll get back to you. There are some people that look at that as a as a failure in some way, which is ridiculous, but some people do. Um, and rather than just going about it the more honest way, I think, um, they, you know, maybe want to make somebody look stupid, which I think is just mean. And, and that gets into intent, right? So that's like another level because I, I don't, I don't, not only do I not have time for that, I don't want to have time for that. So it's like, what's what's the intent? Is it because you want to, you know, have an honest dialogue and convince, try to convince people, like give them compelling evidence or things to think about, um, so they can, in this case, you know, pray to Jesus, look at the Bible, look, you know, the Christian stuff you hear, uh, to do that, just like here's my cards, throw them out on the table. Like <clears throat> some people may think that's less impactful because you're just like, you know, shooting all your shooting all your fireworks at once. But it's like, well, what's the point? Is it to like lead someone and be like, ha, I got you? Because that makes them feel superior and like they want to fight, want to battle. Great. If you want to do that, that's completely different from what, you know, the people I want to talk about are doing, which is, you know, pursuing, you know, these religions or Christianity and in the best possible light and how you can, you know, look in our world, use the same tools we have, clear up any misconceptions, be like, look, this is what Christianity actually is. Here's how you do it. Pray to this God. Stop watching YouTube. You know, for example, that stuff. So it's like if, if if I don't have any more like big big bang fireworks to go off uh, because I've just like you know led with the big thing up front, I don't care. That's not my purpose to win a debate. My purpose is to like share what we believe and why we believe it and how you can you know experience this eternal life and the God I believe in. That's my whole. There it is, right? Like most people won't even tell you their motive. That's my motive up front. Like that's the secret plan. That's the evil plan of Nate. Is like to tell what we believe and why we believe it, and that's it. That's all I get. Um, versus. Yeah, people that are so cagey, which is like so antithetical to Christianity. So if you're pretending to be any kind of Christian, you should be open, honest, like in the light, right? Like sitting on a hill, that type thing. Um, like don't 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 be so deceptive. Like we know another religion who's all about that. So it makes perfect sense when they do it. It doesn't make me like any less irritable when that happens. But that's right in line with their God. It's right in line with what they espouse. Like they're like, you know, Allah is the greatest deceiver of all. Is it any wonder his people may use some of those tactics? Uh, But for Christianity, it's like, look, there's no reason to hide. Like, go tell everyone, share open, share free. Here's this big thing open to be seen for all. So if you're like some type of like cult Christian, um, well, I mean, I guess that's inherent. I guess that's a way to know them. Whenever people are so cagey and like deceptive about that, like Hebrew Israelism or, you know, whatever happened yesterday, that, that just like hits a nerve. It's like that's the opposite of Christianity. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, and then, 
No, I, I agree. This is one of the reasons, this is one of the, the problems that I have with people who employ the presuppositional apologetic, right? Is, you know, is, is they'll try to, um, there, there's a lot of burden shifting that, go, that goes on, right? Uh, like, you know, your, yours and my favorite person, you know, the man who shall not be named. You know, he will, he'll ask a question. And then if you, if you don't have an answer to the question, that's the, again, that's seen as a weakness, or in, actually worse than that, it's seen as evidence for his position, right? Um, Lawrence Krauss said something interesting once during a discussion. He said, um, he said, a lack of understanding. Uh, he, he, was t- he was actually talking to a Muslim apologist at the time, a guy named uh, Hamza Sorsis. Anyway, <clears throat> he said, um, lack of understanding isn't evidence for God. It's evidence of a lack of understanding. So just because somebody doesn't have an answer to your question doesn't mean you're more right. It just means the person you happen to ask didn't have an answer to your question. Well, yeah, and I mean, as we've talked about, you know, there, there are answers. There are more questions than answers. I, I mean, wait, no, more answers than questions. Because, like, I mean, a question is, I mean, there's one question for one question. It, it's a one-to-one. You have one question about one thing. I mean, if the thing is God, you may have lots of questions, but each question is its own question. But there may be multiple answers to that question. So it's like, um, how many gods are there? That's one question. Oh, three, one, billions. There's three answers to one question. So there's there's more answers to questions on this planet. Um, so th- I guarantee every question that's been thought of at this point, like there are answers for it. So just because a specific person you're talking to may not have, you know, a super eloquent, thought out or re- rehearsed answer or memorized answer doesn't mean they don't exist. It doesn't mean you've won an, an argument or, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, like a God argument, it doesn't mean you've won your position. It just means you've, you know, one, I guess, a, a battle of wits over this person you're talking to. Like if you give that person or anyone else or yourself, you know, because it's not like, like how many people ask questions that they haven't already Googled? Like there are answers for every question. And there's very convincing answers for probably most questions. But are those convincing answers true? Some cases we have good evidence and, and you would even say proof for. Others, no. <laughs> it could be very convincing, um, but it can still be wrong. So anyway, but I mean, that's a reasonable person approach. So when you find people that, you know, are like, no, I'm not, I, I don't want to hear any of that. You lost, you lost. Well, I can't have a conversation with you because then it's like, well, here, let me just give you a trophy. Like, let me give you a debate medal. Great. You won the day. Um, you care. No one else does. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I also see a lot with um, people who are like super deep into uh, philosophy which you know you and I aren't right. Oh, I um, love it so much, Michael. <laughs> and, you know, or you know, things like you know, uh, metaphysics and stuff like that, right? Like, I remember, I remember seeing a this uh, a video once where someone was asked, you know, what their, you know, what their, you know, what their metaphysical outlook on life was, and the person was like, uh, I don't know, I don't pay a lot of attention to, to metaphysics, right? And I don't think, for example, I don't think you do either, um, and. That was, and again, that was looked at as a weakness. Like, well, if you, well, I mean, then how can you, you know, you know, talk about this, this, or the other thing? It's like the same way you do by opening your mouth and spitting words out, right? Um, just because you don't, you know, just because you don't understand the underpinnings of 
metaphysics doesn't mean you can't have a conversation with someone. And that's one of the, that's when you see some of the particularly dishonest types of approaches come out. But anyway, I think maybe we've beat this horse to death. Well, Nino, what's up? Hi, uh, I just had a question uh, uh, about something totally different. Uh, I was in uh, another room earlier on, uh, a house called Biblical Smoke. And uh, sorry. The, and that room, uh, it, I think they were like uh, something called uh, Black uh, Hebrew Israelites. Is that correct? <laughs> that yeah. is correct. Yeah, um, my question Hebrew is: Israelites, that's, they consider that to be racist. Just Hebrew Israelites. Okay. Well, anyway, my question is: uh, uh, How how did they come to that conclusion that uh, they are the true Israelites, and they are calling Caucasians for Edomites? And uh, how did they come to that that conclusion that they are the true Israelites? I mean, how how come they don't acknowledge? the nation of Israel in the Middle East and the Jews living there as true Hebrew Israelites? My answer is the devil. Uh, Chris, would you like to go a little further? And that was a little bit simple. I would like to understand it better, how they came to this yeah. conclusion. So, yeah, so, so I, if you find a guy named Faithful to God, he holds rooms on Hebrew Israelitism. He explains all the nuances. They're not a monolith. Different people believe different things. There are what they call camp Hebrew Israelites versus just Hebrew Israelites. Um, they they come in all stripes, and so it's not just limited, like D was saying, to uh, African Americans. They, some Hebrew Israelites will say that uh, anybody who's a person of color can be a Hebrew Israelite, etc. Um, but they have many varying beliefs. Um, and they range all over the place. And so if you were to ask me, what does Sakari believe? I could give you some answers. What does, you know, um, uh, IUPC or practical knowledge? IUIC, yeah, IUIC, I, you know, like all these other different camps, like there's different belief systems that all they, that they all have. The one thing that binds them together is a ethnicity argument that they are the true Israelites because of the international slave trade that happened 400 years ago uh, in Deuteronomy 28. And so they believe by reading themselves into the Deuteronomy 28 text that they are truly real Israelites and everyone else is not. And so they will reject anyone who was not captured by the transatlantic slave trade, um, you know, and uh, and those atrocities um, as not fulfilling Deuteronomy twenty-eight. So they get it's a it's a racial identity cult, kind of like Nation of Islam. If you ever heard of them, that's an American cult here. That you've got a bunch of people in you know ostensibly starting out in Detroit with. Um, you know, uh, Elijah Muhammad and some of these other folks, um, that believe that they are the true Muslims and it is a racial identity cult. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks for, uh, uh that answer. And, uh, I also wonder how come, cause they like, they, they called me Esau and they said, uh, like I was an Edomite and, uh, what's the reason for that? Well, if you're not them, then you're Edomite. 
So if they don't consider you one of one of them, then yeah, that that's why that. So it's like by exclusion. So like if you if you are someone they'll accept, then you're you know you're a true Israelite. If you're not someone they accept, they don't need to know what you are other than you're not one of them. And if you're not one of them, you're an Edomite. Um, and even though I said the devil like kind of tongue in cheek earlier, like I mean I, I mean I believe that. Like if there's something pulling someone away from you know what we believe is is Jesus and you know the Bible and the, the true God, there's there's my claim. But if someone is being led or pulled to something other than that, I mean, you know, you can say it's their own whims or whatever. But I mean, I, I believe, you know, the devil um, is very much behind that, like the spiritual force. Like if it's not leading someone toward God, then, you know, congratulations, you're following your father, the devil. Oh, okay. And how about uh, the last thing I asked about? Why don't they acknowledge the uh, nation of Israel in the Middle East? And the Jews living there as Hebrews, because they are the true Hebrews, right? So, so because of Deuteronomy 28, because they believe that the transatlantic slave trade that came to the Americas is the watershed event that defines you as a Jew. And so the Jews that are in the Middle East or anybody else who's ethnically what we would call Jewish, they deny those claims because those people did not come over on boats from the transatlantic slave trade to America. It's also a very, okay, it's a very American cult. Mm -hmm. uh, I see. Uh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know this thing, so I was curious. Yeah, they're super fun at parties. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Are you a uh, Norwegian? Yes, uh, I'm uh, born in Norway and live in Norway, but my origin and background is a Macedonian. So oh. both my parents are Macedonian. Cool. Um, congratulations on the new Miss Norway. Nah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Was right. it Norway? I think it was. Was it Norway? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Or, it was well, no, it was, was it Holland? Or, no, you're right. It was the Netherlands. It was the Netherlands. My bad. Yeah, it was different yeah, places, yeah. Chris. Yeah, it was Netherlands. I, I was a bit confused now when you said Miss uh, Norway because I don't even know who that is. But uh, I, don't I did read uh, some news article about oh, yeah, Miss Netherlands to... being a trans person. You got yeah. to see all the stunning and brave and shattering glass ceilings. Like, you didn't shatter a glass ceiling. It's a dude. Like, Think of the, the woman who could have actually shattered some sort of glass ceiling, but you stole it from her. You put your size 12 boot on her head, and you took her place. I think the feminists and the trans people are going to get into a whole civil war. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Yeah, that's already happening. They call them TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. <laughs> See, I got all excited when Chris said Netherlands. I thought he was talking about Max Verstappen's dominant win at uh, the British Grand Prix on Sunday. Oh, my like, goodness. You and Bubby need to get into a room and hash all that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be funny to send you and Bubby to a race and just have you guys live stream as you're watching. Well, it's funny. I'd, I'd have to make sure that uh, my wife wasn't there because she's not a Verstappen fan. 
Um, I I like I like Max. She's not a fan. It's funny. She has a <laughs> she bought this. She bought a, a t shirt and she kind of surprised me with it. And uh, so she comes uh, she comes downstairs uh, on the on the weekend actually, and <clears throat> it's a white t shirt. And on the front of it, in in all capital letters, it says, "I'm a hardcore Christian." And then she turns around, and it says, "Horner hater" with a picture of Christian Horner uh, on the back. So that was that was pretty funny. Wow, that's de- dedicated to the sport. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we. But it's funny. Well, for me, I've been watching for years, but she got into. I managed to. I talked her into watching Drive to Survive, the Netflix F1 series, uh, and then she got into it too. Hmm. Could you say the, the the Bible passage again? You said they base uh, that stuff on with the Hebrew Israelites and slaves, right? Twenty-eight was it? Yeah, Deuteronomy twenty-eight, um, right around verse thirty and following. Okay, thanks. Uh, I, I'm just going to read it. Thanks. Yeah, it's the it's the it is the curses if the people in the Mosaic covenant um, reject God. And so they would be subject to these curses. The problem is, is that all of those curses were fulfilled throughout history, including in the exilic period um, and in the post-exilic period. Um, I mean, it talks about like eating babies and like all kinds of crazy stuff and all that stuff happened. Good morning, CEO. Morning. Good conversation you guys are having so far. Uh, Chris, I used to do an undergrad. I attended a few Nation of Islam meetings, so I'm I'm very familiar with them. Oh yeah. What did what did what did you think of Louis Farrakhan and all his friends? Um, well, I mean, I thought the Million Man March was a very positive thing. Um, other than that, he's done more than good. Yeah, I think the, the anti-Semitism kind of tips his hand. Agreed. <clears throat> so you don't well. think the Million Man March was positive? Oh, D going to fight you, CEO. I did. I thought it was very positive. The rest of it, though, the the bad outweighs the good. I mean, I think any message that tells men to live up to their commitments as men is a good message. You know, like, sure. Um, Is Louis Farrakhan a good messenger? Like, I don't know. Speaking of... um... Men living up to, what'd you say? Their commitments or whatever. Um, <laughs> Matt Walsh made a post yesterday and immediately got like torched. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. So his post was basically like, it was about the masculinity of men and how there are different different gender roles, like, you know, male, female, like, and, and it's like, you know, his whole, his premise was kind of the world wants men to be more emotional and touchy-feely and stuff like that. And his his thing was, no, there's a reason, you know, there's a saying like men don't, real men don't cry or something like that. And, and that was, I think it was more absolute than I, I think he'd like to say, because surely if like his parent dies or something, it probably shed a tear. But he didn't say that. So, I mean, the way it was presented sounded very like, 
men don't cry, are like extra, extra, like Western. Um, anyway, so immediately he, he was like, you know, there are different roles, like men shouldn't be expected to be this emotional and, and everything. There's a reason they're supposed to be like hard, rugged, masculine, stuff like that to live up, to bear these burdens, because you can't bear the burdens of the way of the world that, you know, traditionally men are supposed to, to bear. Um, and also be super emotional and feeling about it, but you need this rig rigidity to you, this hardness to you to bear this. And it's like, if you try to be all emotional and bear this, you know, you become a mess versus women should not be expected to bear these burdens either. Men should bear, you know, what, what are we just talking about? Like family structure or I, I don't even know what he's talking about there, but basically that was the point. Like men need to be less emotional and more like stern, hard, rigid to bear these extra burdens and women should bear less burdens and be more emotional and shouldn't try to put on such a tough exterior, basically separating the sexes. Anyway, so uh, I, I could appreciate it to a point if he would say, well, you know, the, don't ever, ever cry or don't ever have any feeling moments. But if you like sign up for your wife's like, you know, weekly feelings group, I, I get that point. Like you probably don't need to attend a w wife's feeling group every week. Um, but like everyone, like, you know, a bunch of emotional men were just torching this guy immediately. And I thought, Okay, where I may have like, you know, the, the little disagreement I said, or like I would want to add a couple clauses and be like, well, is this what you meant? But I, I can totally take it with a grain of salt and be like, yes, I see value in that. I, I get the point he's trying to make. Uh, and without the benefit of him nuancing it out, I'll say good enough. I'm, I'm not going to hate the guy for it. I, I generally agree to some of his premises. But um, yeah, these people were absolutely torching this guy. Like, no, 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 that's wrong. You suck. You suck. Like, getting very emotional. Well, like, what um, exactly so what, what are did your he thoughts? say? Like, can you read it? Like, what exactly did he say? Oh gosh. Okay, fine. I'll I'll go try to find it down. It was on Facebook yesterday. But I mean, I basically that was the nutshell of it. So, what do you sure. think about the nutshell? While well, I try to track down exactly what it was. But it was. I mean, it was, yeah, his I audience. Mean, um, I think the people commenting was basically not people who would be sympathetic at all. Like it's a total liberal audience who follows him just so they can like hate comment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I will say that with Gen Z men, at least they are kind of geared towards expressing their feelings a lot more, which on one level I could imagine being good, but I think it's completely overboard and it goes to a point of being whiny. So it's interesting. I, yeah, I have um, thoughts on this. I think that, um, I, I don't think, I'm not sure I disagree with you, CEO, about uh, Gen Z. Uh, like, I'm a Gen Xer myself. <clears throat> but Oh, I have the post if you guys want to actually hear the whole thing. You can go but, ahead and talk if you'd like, Michael. Yeah, but yeah, just to, yeah, I think that, um, I think that gender roles are wholly subjective. Um, and I think that whatever roles individuals play in a in a family setup as long as they are um talked about and agreed upon by the people in that family then i don't think anybody it's anybody else's concern um i do think that uh i've actually i actually view it as a strength when you have the capacity to demonstrate your feelings and emotions um and i take a pretty strong stance on this like it, it's it's my opinion that it doesn't take any guts to bottle things up and keep it to yourself it takes more guts to actually show your vulnerability and to show that you're a human being with feelings. Um, I'm not suggesting that you turn into, like what CEO said, someone who just whines all the time. That's not what I'm suggesting. But um, for, like on a, on a somewhat personal note, I watched my uh, father, who was born in the, uh, during the Great Depression. And 
that was very much a, you know, men did men things and women did women things. And that was that. And as a result, he learned how to never share his emotions. And I'm convinced that's what led to, you know, like he had terrible, crazy heart disease and other things. And I'm, I'm convinced that that attributed to that, you know, his stress and everything like that, his inability to show his emotions. But anyway. Yeah. yeah and I mean, that's where I would say, <clears throat> like what you say sounds reasonable, uh, depending what we mean by that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think temperance, right? So all things in moderation. <clears throat> so it's not like, you know, the, like the, what was it, the last of the Mohicans, like, you know, you see this like brave, like, you know, uh, Native American warrior and, you know, he, he sheds a tear. No one's going to call him like overly emotional or a coward or, you know, something like that. So, I mean, you know, time and place. So it's like, you know, you can, you can dial it back a little bit, but I mean, if you're so feeling and so emotional, that's going to play a part in things that you need to be very just like rigid about, like, I don't know, um, economic world policy, uh, just pulling that out of a hat or something like that. Like there are things like that, that run this world, like structure, like hard, steel, rigid structures and like formal legal agreements and, and treaties and things like that, that you need to keep emotion out of. Um, and and I, I think we could all say amen to that one. So, so I, I, I like to think at least that's my position. Like, you know, be an emotionless robot on things like that. And then, you know, if it made you feel a certain way, we'll talk about that with your family at home. But, okay, here's the actual post. You ready, Chris? If you're, like, on a call or running wires and aren't listening, I'm going to chase you down. Um, are, are you there, Chris? Where yeah. There it is. <clears throat> and it's the last post he made, so maybe he's, like, in hiding. <clears throat> okay. When we say that a man shouldn't cry, it is not just a joke. There's an important truth here. The world needs men to pick up their burdens, shoulder them quietly, and get on with business. The more that men become emotional and soft, the more that society ceases to function as it should. We need emotion and we need emotion and softness. That's why we have women. We also need toughness and hardness. That's why we're supposed to have men. The men who fulfill this duty are accused of being unfeeling and lacking depth, but the truth is that they have a depth that women can't even begin to comprehend. I'm starting to see the hate. Um, if a woman could fully inhabit the mind and inner life of a man, it would be torture for her. That's because women are not meant to carry the burden of manhood any more than men are meant to carry the burden of womanhood. But we are where we belong, which is the identity we were born with. We cannot comprehend what it's really like to be the other identity. So that's what I actually said. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Interesting <clears throat> statement. Uh, I know when if I've sinned, I cry. I weep bitter tears. <laughs> uh, when I lose a loved one, I cry. The day my daughter, my children were born, I was joyful, but I had some tears in my eyes. So, you don't have to be, it doesn't make you soft, contrary to a lot of things. Uh, to, uh, to shed some tears every now and then. Uh, but I also know that I had to show my sons what it is to be a man. I had to show my daughters what a man... I had to... I am the, the first boyfriend of my daughters. Because they have to see what a man does. Daddy. Daddy, I need... Okay. What does a man do? A man provides for his family. He makes sure that uh, things are worked out. 
Now, now in the case of if the woman is better with, with finances, hey, let her handle that. But give her the money. <laughs> All right? But uh, I'm hearing this. We aren't supposed to be so rigid that we are, that we, we're unfeeling. No, we do have care. We care. We care so much. We care so much, but sometimes uh, I'm a Generation X myself. And Generation X people tend to try to balance both. You, uh, I was born in the 60s. In the 60s, America was a, was a time of turmoil. Um, there was, it was changing of ideas, changing of ideals. And I was raised in the, in the 70s and grew up in the 70s and, and in the 80s. And I'm, and I started to Mom. see people move from let's talk it through to what well, we can't talk at all. And that's a dangerous place to be. I got a quick call, but I'm back now. Was there a lull, or did he did you finish what you're saying? I finished. Time? I finished what I'm saying. Then, thank you, Nate, and good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. Are you uh, crying right now, or would you like to respond? <laughs> well, I All think right, we'll there's a, there, there's this other fragility we're not talking about about men who are so threatened by women that they end up whining about women being strong right like are you strong enough to date she hawk is the question right like um <laughs> because, because a lot of men feel very threatened by women advancing and it just means that masculinity may have to evolve to some degree but it should still have all its core principles but i see a lot of people who just don't like women getting stronger. And so they overreact. And I think that's a different type of fragility. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think, and I think, that, I think that's a weakness on the male's point of view. Um, because like, for example, like, and I've said this, I'm pretty sure I've said this before in this room. Um, my wife is smarter than I am. She makes more than I do. And she is more successful than I am and doesn't bother me in the least. Now this is an interesting subject, uh, especially when you when you talk about this because I was actually I was picking up my great aunt from Louisiana. I was driving her back, and we were talking about some of our family history. My my grand great grandfather, who was a, a Pentecostal bishop, he planted five churches, diocese and bishop in our organization growing up. That a lot of people don't know that my grandmother she really made him as far as developing in him a lot of his soft skills and you know intellectual skills. He, my aunt, she was telling us about the story when she was in grade school and she was learning how to read. When my grandmother uh, married my grandfather, he was illiterate. And she was telling us about when she was uh, coming home from school and like, and she would do homework, my grandmother would sit her next to him. And, and when she would be doing homework and teaching her how to read, she would be teaching my grandfather uh, how to read. Uh, you know, so like he was... I, he didn't feel threatened that, you know, my grandmother knew a lot more academically than he did. But to the same extent, you know, my grandmother didn't uh, act like, oh, well, because she knew a lot more academically, 
that she got out of place. Like, oh boy, she's just so much more, you know, because she was just she was just a smart cookie. Nothing she could do, but he she she was just a smart woman. But she didn't use that to like usurp and be out of place. He was uh he was securing his headship that yeah, Mo, he'll tell you, like, yeah, my wife is just really smart, you know. Uh, but you know, but I think one piece of it too on the opposite side of it is that I think it's good women have a lot of opportunities corporately. I think they should have every chance opportunity to, you know, uh progress and be able to be active in the corporate world and things like that. But at the same time, there is a, a, a very strong, I can you say negative type of feminism that exists within the corporate world where where I exist. And I think some women have to deal with the fact just because you can, men still have an option. Does that mean do I want to be bothered with you? Because, you know, yeah, you can be, you know, superwoman and all this, but I don't, you know, it's just kind of like, well, you just don't want to deal with a strong woman. No, I can, but do I have to? One, when I can deal with the other woman who is, you know, flirty, feminine, nice, not as aggressive, and she actually makes me feel good. So I think I get the woman that doesn't make my hair fall. We need to get some women in here to attack Brandon. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, like I tell them, like, hey, if you want to be a CEO, great. But just remember, just like with anything, it's an opportunity cost. Uh, you know, and you do have a, you do have a clock. <laughs> And if that man wants children, but that's inappropriate. Like it's inappropriate to go that far with it. So I was with you when you break it off. You're jumping out, hey. out real bad. I heard you say something's inappropriate, but you, you're chopping out real bad. Try to fix that. I'd like to hear what you're you're gonna say. Um, but I mean, it's also it's also like you know a little more maybe challenging to navigate because like we're talking about like you know women in the corporate workforce like go back a hundred years when there wasn't really a corporate workforce like you know go back two hundred years like go back you know through most of human history how you know we didn't have all, all the stuff we had now so it's like the corporate workforce was like running a slave mine in the hot desert where even the people running it were in like s conditions that even slaves today probably wouldn't be in um, you're not gonna find probably any women. <clears throat> In those conditions, you're going to find few men and they have a short life because it's hard and miserable and they die, even the ones running the place. So, you know, back when, you know, back when, like, I don't know, men are chasing dinosaurs or like fighting off rhinoceroses or, or rhinoceri, whatever. Um, I think it's a lot easier to define roles and they're like, oh, OK, who's the biggest, strongest physical warrior? Oh, OK. All these dudes. Who's our biggest, strongest female warrior? And it's like you know, the, the biggest, strongest female warrior is the size that's not even the least of the biggest, strongest male warriors. So it's like, great. All the biggest, strongest people, um, go hunt animals. All the people who are not on that, well, plant some crops, you know, learn to cook. We need clothes. So, I mean, it just kind of fail, like, according to skills. Like I, I assume uh, you know, if there was like someone who's like, you know, a Glamazon or whatever, and they're just like, oh, I'm a big, tall warrior woman. Um, I don't know. Maybe give her a spear. See what she can do. I, I mean, I don't know of any any historical reports of stuff like that, but I mean, there's probably some somewhere. But I mean, it, it became a lot easier to define roles and people just like, they're like, oh, where do I fit? So they didn't have to feel like, oh, you're keeping me down. You're keeping me down. They would keep themselves and you wouldn't even say down. Like, it, it's easy. It's like if I'm a, if I'm a circle and I see a place with a, a square um, and, you know, a, a circle, 
or a ball shape or whatever, it's like, oh, I automatically know where I fit. Like, it doesn't mean it's up or down or better or worse or whatever. It's like, oh, I, I have common sense. I know where I go. I have these tools. This is the shape that needs these tools. I'm going to go work over here, um, you know, versus someone else. Like, you know, I'm, I'm probably would not be the biggest, strongest warrior guy. I'd probably be like, you know, digging ditches to sow crops. I'd be like, no, guys, I, let me go hunt the dinosaurs. Sowing crops sucks. And they're like, no, you're not big or strong enough. Like, we've got bigger, stronger guys going to do this. I'm like, all right, well, crap. Guess I'm digging ditches. Anyways, now, like, it, it just seems, like, more more um, confusing because everything is, like, nicer. Like, nicer times, weaker people, that type thing. So it's maybe a little more difficult for people to realize, oh, okay, I have this set of tools. Where can I use these tools the best? That's through your stream of consciousness for today. Yeah, um, Brandon, sorry. What I was trying to say earlier was I was with you when you were talking about you may have a personal preference for a certain type of woman. That's cool. That's good. But when you went into reminding a woman about her biological clock, I just feel like that's inappropriate. And it's basically making it, it, it just seems unfair to me. I, I don't like when people do that because a woman's already aware of her biological clock. So why do we need to? Say well, that. well, well, let me clarify, because this is this is the part where we all have to be realistic because a woman doesn't have any problem reminding me about what my income is. No. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the reality of it is that we all have to have something we bring to the table. Uh, and I'm just like I'm not a villain because I want to have children. Uh, she's not a villain if she has to, if she wants to have a certain type of lifestyle she wants to live. That doesn't make her evil because she wants to live in a house. And if at a certain point I want to have a child or maybe have multiple children, it doesn't make me evil. And if she is naturally past the age where she statistically can have a child, that doesn't make me evil for recognizing that. And if you have made a decision where you have chosen as an adult that hey, I want to pursue my career. That's fine. I'm just saying I have a right to acknowledge that and to choose a woman who can still do it. I think the only one of the problems inherent with what you just said, though, is that, that then you would have to be okay with like in the same way, like if you're saying, well, you know, if I'm looking at the woman, if she's past this stage, then she has to be okay with me making that decision. Then, then you would have to be okay with the woman looking at you and saying, yeah, you don't make enough with me. So I'm just going to make my decision based on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's, that's totally fair. I think that's, and that's, that's my point. That's that if, if like we sitting in, that's part of why premarital counseling, I believe finance should be a part of it. And if she knows what kind of life she wants to live, it does not make her evil. And that's why I think women shouldn't be vilified. Because let's say if I make 60000 and there are some things she wants, it doesn't make her evil because 60000 does not make her feel safe. And she's like, well, no, I just don't feel comfortable. No, that does not make her evil. And I don't think she should be vilified because 60000 a year doesn't make her feel safe. I think that's totally fair. Just like me wanting kids and she being 47 doesn't make me feel safe that she can have kids safely. So I, I I think this is just looking at facts and just being adults and taking our feelings out and just looking at what, what reality is. Well, well, and Brandon, you know, we got some work to do within our community because black women who communicate that way are referenced as gold diggers for some reason. Well, and, 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 and I, to, to a degree, but, and, and I understand the sensitivity to that, 
uh, I think there is a culture sometimes that can come to uh, that that you have, and there there are some examples of that. But I think if there is reason, well, why you feel that way? Like, well, I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I don't think any woman is is wrong because I have had a daughter. I want her to look at it that way. And if I had a son that wanted to have kids and he brings a woman that's obviously is at the age of menopause, uh, I would have some I would have some kind of concerns. I'm like, well, it, one, is that going to be safe for her and safe for the child? I mean, it's not a feelings thing. It's, it's just a it's just a matter of facts. And I think sometimes we think too much with our feelings and not enough with our head. I'm curious about one other thing you said, Brandon, though you said something a minute ago, pre-marital counseling. Um, do you mean dating? No. No, like, you know, like before you get married, uh, like, you know, you have counseling. Oh yeah, no, I, I, that's what I do. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> um, pre-marital counseling. Right. Like, you know, if you're assuming you're a believer and not an atheist, <clears throat> like, you uh-huh. know, usually it, it's very common in like churches where, you know, people are dating uh, or they may even be engaged or something. But, you know, they, they want to make sure they want to get like advice of a pastor or something of a church they go to. So, you know, they'll like usually have some sessions. And I think, I mean, Brandon, you're a pastor. You do this, right? You do premarital. Counseling. I, I, so, like, I, the mm-hmm. couple, so, so the couple will like go in and. You know, the pastor will be like, OK, so what's your plans? You know, what what's your likes? What's your dislikes? Like very casual. And then it will go to like spiritual stuff and be like, OK, you know, you have the same belief. This is what we think. You know, you guys agree to this. Like make sure they're on on as much of a same level as they can, like physically, spiritually, what their hopes and dreams are, what their likes, dislikes are. So like secular stuff as well as spiritual, just to take a holistic approach to be like, OK, well, you know, in case, you know, you guys are, are young and even if you have parents who are counseling you and giving you advice. Uh, you know, I'm still the pastor, so let me let me go over this as like this spiritual, um, you know, leader who can who can like speak into your eyes and and you know give you some things to consider in case you haven't already, just to give the marriage the best possible success. Because um, so many times people like go into it and don't consider all the costs and don't consider everything. Um, so it's good to have like a third party, in this case a pastor, to let them know of you know what the world has to offer and you know whenever things um, do like some conflict resolution, like give them tips, like hey. There will be problems. There will be conflicts. Make sure you know you turn to God, you turn to the Bible, you turn to church before you just like cut and run. Uh, you know things like that. They do a fair yeah. job, Brandon, of what you do. Yeah, yeah. Assisting and especially money is going to be one of the biggest issues. Um, nine times out of ten, money is the one of the biggest issues that comes yeah, up. Yeah, I think it's also uh, worth noting that sometimes people don't get married because of premarital counseling, Michael, because they find out their values are more different than what they discovered in their conversations with each other. Yeah, but but I, I find it's so. Yeah, but I find a lot of times you it can you can filter out a lot of uh it it it's like who buys a house without touring it first. Not to say you won't find problems in the house, which more than likely you will, but you will more than likely find out issues if you let's tour the house before we find it. Buy it. This is what I'm saying. Premarital counseling is like touring the house before you buy it. It will let you identify issues a lot better uh, than just like, well, let's just buy just by driving on the curb, you know, curbside kind of tour deal. But I guess, and the reason, the reason why I, I, I know sometimes some people, when it comes to marriage, they kind of look like, well, you just veer upfront about, you know, what you think on it, because this is a lifelong thing that you have to live with. And if you can't be just straightforward because you have to live with this arrangement. And if you just can't be straightforward, this is what you think about it. Cause you have to go home with this every day. So 
you shouldn't care what society thinks. You shouldn't care what anybody else thinks because you have to live with this arrangement. And if I had a daughter, of course, I'm going to let her, I'm going to let her know exactly how the world thinks and let her know how a man thinks. And I want her to know you have the power to make the choice. But at the end of the day, I'm going to let her know that every choice has an opportunity cost. I love you and I want you to know you can do everything you want. But at the end of the day, that baby, I'm your daddy. So, of course, I think you're perfect, but the world doesn't think. <laughs> so it's interesting because, you know, so I, it, it might and I don't think this is what you meant to say. But, you know, the kind of the, the analogy that you drew isn't I don't see it as quite. A reasonable analogy, right? So you're you're correct in saying nobody drives by a house and says, "Yeah, I want to buy this house," right? So yeah, nobody. But but the the proper analogy, like something analogous to that, would be walking down the street, seeing a girl, and saying, "I want to marry that girl." That would be the analogy. Um, so what what you like what you call premarital counseling, I call dating, right? So if like I'm curious as to like other than and 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 maybe maybe it's difficult for me to see for, because of a worldview perspective, right? But it, it seems to me that, that if you date a person for a period of time and you are open and honest in your communication about your wants, hopes, fears, and desires, um, and then you move forward, it seems to me that it's only from a worldview perspective that the only thing a premarital counselor, counselor is going to be able to offer that couple that did those things is a spiritual perspective. No, well, when I say well, premarital well, counsel, hey. and th this is my, my viewpoint, uh, as a third party, I sit in. One, the three things I suggest is, uh, of course, uh, spiritual, uh, but the second, of course, uh, I, I look at it also financially. That's one session you look at. And uh, I look at the next one as far as goals and where you're trying to, uh, where you both are trying to go and trying to handle things. I feel like if I can if I can break y'all up in, in, in two of those sessions, that's a sign that y'all may need to slow things down. But again, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe, maybe I'm right. Uh, I think these are just maybe good things to look at. These are indications that there may be some areas of uh, problems. Now, maybe you're right, Michael. Maybe, you know, hey, maybe, maybe I'm just being the pessimistic old man, but I feel like if if I can tear y'all apart in a preacher setting, and I, you know, and I'm and I'm the guy that's for you, what? How much more will you know? Jealous exes and messy in laws are going to. Well, I would have thought, Michael, you would have agreed agreed more here. Like, no, to say premarital counseling is what you would call dating. No, dating is what you'd call dating. Like, even with premarital counseling, I would still say no. That's not dating. Dating is dating. Like, I mean, like, just think about it without God. Like. I mean, this is your world, right? You you counsel people. So I would think, well, if I was, you know, had a fiance and I, I hired you, I'm like, Michael, I know you're an atheist, but, you know, go ahead and, uh, you know, there's no preachers I can find. They're all busy. So can you just counsel us on your life, your marriages? You've been married a long time, what we can look forward to, what some of the pitfalls are that we should be aware of to look out for. Um, you know, can you, can you do this for us? Can you just give us some life advice? Try to ask questions that even if we had 20 years, we may not have uncovered ourselves in open, honest dating. And I, I would expect you to be like, well, sure, I'll, I'll do that for you. Um, so, so, yeah, it would be that. Like, you know, dating is two people. Like, God or not, preacher or not, I mean, having a, a third opinion, like someone from the outside, it's like marriage counseling. 
you would say, oh, well, people are just open and honest. Well, no. I mean, you can be as open and honest as you want. But I mean, you know, there's a very valid reason to go through marriage counseling if there's a problem, because sometimes you just need a third person to point out stuff that's in both of your blind spots. So I, I'm surprised on that, Michael. Can we get uh, past the Matt Walsh conversation? Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say maybe it's me being overly optimistic, but my hope yes. would be, you know, my my hope would be that two people going into a situation would be honest enough with each other, right? So, so like with with what Brandon said a minute ago, right? Uh, having to talk about finances, right? Well, I'm I'm failing to see the efficacy of a third of a third wheel involved in that if two people sit down and have an open and honest discussion, right? Well, and, well, well, and there's, a, there's a galaxy of difference between premarital counseling and marital counseling, because typically the reason marital, uh, marriage counselors are employed is because lines of communication, and, and when I say lines of communication, I mean efficient communication or willing communication has broken down. If you're dating someone and efficient communication or willing communication isn't there, you stop dating that person. Yeah, but so my, Michael, sorry, 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 hang on. I, I wanted, I wanted to cut you off a minute, Michael, to get you addressed in this. I know oh, you don't sorry. like being interrupted. I don't like interrupting, but I, I was wanting to give you something else to respond to in that. But I mean, I'm more on your side uh, than I would like to be for this conversation because you know I'm, I'm totally in support of you know mar um, premarital counseling and stuff, even though I didn't go through it. And even though I, I agree with what you said about the two people and open, honest, like that's, that's my approach in my personal life. Like I, I, because you know, I, that, I mean, that seems to have worked for us so far. Um, but if I, I, I also think there's merit, like if we had the availability, um, I probably think, well, you know, premarital counseling would have probably been a good job. It would have, it w I mean, going through this now, a third perspective could have pointed something else. Um, and it's like twice now you've come back to the money issue. Um, so, but what about the whole, the holistic issue? Like there are things, no matter how open and honest people are, if you just, you know, there's, what is it? I mean, the Bible talks about this. There's like wisdom in a multitude of counselors before someone says, not always you get the intent. The point is if there's more eyeballs on something, you usually get more perspectives that can come from that. So even if you had like you and your wife, you know, who are being very open, very honest and someone's like, Oh, Hey, you know, I saw this issue, not finances, but I saw this issue and that, uh, you know, it looks like you are kind of like on this side and your wife is on this side. Have you guys thought about this? And then maybe you'd be like, oh, you know what? We have a perfect marriage. We're compatible and open and honest in every way. But I didn't see that. Michael, did you see that? I, I haven't saw that. So, I mean, I'm it, just looking for like a, an attaboy or a give me or something. Like sure. you, you have to well, find some value somewhere. In it, okay. Right? So I think. Well, yeah. hey, Michael. Okay. It, so, it's no, it's kind of like. Let me just answer. Let me just quickly answer Nate's question. So I think what's probably most fair to say. So, yes, I think, Nate, what you're saying is fair. So I think if it, it's like. Uh, and I don't mean to over overly trivialize it. There are some that don't see the value in buying an extended warranty on something, but for those who see the value in it, it's valuable. So I think for the people who see value in something like premarital counseling, I think it's valuable for, for me personally. And, and, and today to most directly answer your question, if you, if had you come to me, you know, if, if all of our worlds were different, you know, if you come to me and say, listen, I'm thinking of marrying this woman. Can you counsel us? What I would probably say is, I don't mind sitting down and maybe offering you a little bit of advice, but I, I'd be I'd be leery of taking the quote unquote authoritative position of a counselor. But but I understand where you're coming from. Well, I, I'll just say, 
I'll just say this because I, I recently just left accounting. Uh, I wouldn't decide to go into consulting. And one, one thing that's interesting, because it doesn't bother me telling people what to do. Uh, big shock there. But one thing, like I was just uh, sent a case of a company uh, they're flying me out to, and I have a strong supply chain background also. And so I'm looking through these instances. One thing that happens to a lot of companies is that they get so into their culture, into so what they, they, you know, they're used to doing, that the thing that's messing them, them up, they are blind to it. And we all have those spots that we are blind. And so they will pay companies like mine millions of dollars to pay little over guys like me to come in and say, hey, look, you, you're in blind to this and let me show you how to fix this. And so you pay me all this money and I come and tell you this and then walk out. But if companies do this, how much more than that people do this? And I think sometimes we overestimate our ability to see things that are blind. And I think this is the issue. And by, but, but the issue is by the time most companies finally say, oh, let's bring in a consultancy. You have already bled millions upon millions of dollars. Whereas if you had did it earlier, you probably would have saved the money that you would have probably spent for the consultancy. But I think this is, sometimes I think we overestimate our ability to identify our own problems. And that, that's just that's just me. And I think the same thing, and I can say it in my marriage. Uh, that's why I think in the, the financial aspect of marriage counseling, I think you ought to do... Um, you need to have three things, uh, six months worth of bank statements from bo both parties, uh, uh, both credit checks, uh, bring those there. The thing that you need to uh, to uh, essentially get a, a bank loan to buy a house uh, and you need to be transparent because you, theoretically, but I find that this is not always what takes place. So let's just make sure we just have all this stuff on the table. Let's just put it there and talk because shoulda, woulda, coulda is quite not always what takes place in reality in my experience, but that's just me. My name is Brandon. I approve this. Um, Michael, is there any other area in life where if a person didn't have experience in an era, you would advise against them communicating with someone who does have experience in that era? That's a good question. Give me a minute to think about that. Yeah, so I, I, I think that, like, you know, you haven't been married. You understand it's going to be a different ball game. Things are well, there's going to be shifts because there just always are. So you talk to someone who's been married and they help you maybe see some blind spots that you haven't otherwise thought about. I know people like in our church who ended up not getting married because they realized the values they had were way different than they imagined because there were questions prompted that, you know, they, they didn't think about talking to each other about it. And I've seen people who come out of marriage counseling more committed and stronger and they feel more confident about uh, being married because there aren't any blind spots. They had thought about these things. So I think it can be a very useful tool for either strengthening your resolve or having you take a step back and look at things. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I think that, um, I guess it's just the structured approach that that is giving me pause. So like, for example, before I got married, actually before I got married the first time, because I've been married twice, um, there was like, you know, I talked to my, 
my parents a little bit before I got married because I, you know, I was much younger and, uh, you know, kind of getting into it. And, and so I had questions. So in that kind of like informal setting. So I, I think, I think, see, you know, the, the best way to answer your question is in a, I think it's the structured form that's giving me pause asking for advice, so to speak from people with other life experience um, I think is almost always efficacious, regardless of what it is that you're talking about. It's the structured approach that, like, like I said, that's that's giving me pause. But like I said, if I think it has value to you, if you think it has value for you, and and I would certainly never knock. So like I like if someone if I talked to someone who said, oh yeah, we went to you know premarital counseling. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, what the hell did you waste your money on that for? Or so, you know, not that I'm saying it would be charged, someone would be charged for it, but I'm just saying, like, you know, what'd you waste your time doing that for? Um, because if, if they thought they got value from it, then I think that they did a good thing. Um, well, the, the other thing, again, lastly, just from a personal note, um, understanding that pat on the back is only a foot away from a, from a kick in the butt. Um, I, I also know myself well enough to know that <laughs> to know I'm, I'm pretty self-aware. So I didn't need help, I guess, in some of those areas that, um, some other people may have. And maybe that's just cause you know, like uh, Brandon, I'm an old guy now. Well, I, I mean, okay. <laughs> a couple of things, Michael still be my friend, but, um, well, well, first I don't think it's near nearly as weird as, as you're thinking it is. And in my experience, pastors don't charge for this. I don't know if Brandon does, but I mean, it, it's not nearly as strict or rigid or formal as you think. It's just like, hey, church members, here's your pastor. Go talk to this guy. You're considering getting married? Great. Have a cup of coffee in his office for like an hour, uh, you know, an hour a month or an hour every couple weeks um, for a couple times. And, you know, iron out some, some loose things in your life. Make sure you agree about some certain certain things. Talk about any potential disagreements. Like it's very loose. It's very informal. It's not nearly as weird. It's like like the same way you should think about Christians like baby baby dedications, right? Um, if you just hear baby dedications, like these Christians are dedicating their their kid to a god, like what kind of weird cult is that? And then when you find out what it actually is, and you're like, oh, you mean these Christians have sincerely held religious beliefs, and they just like you know take their baby up on stage, and you know the congregation says a little prayer. And the parents just promise to, you know, uh, raise them with, the, tell them about the beliefs that they have. That's all that is. That's like a similar thing of like marriage counseling. Like it's not super weird or formal or anything like that. Um, I would say that. And then Michael, um, I mean, just since it's on the table, um, gosh, you said it's the second time you're married. I mean, there's no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees. But the point uh, is, um, and I don't know anything about your circumstance, but the point of marriage counseling is, so it's only one marriage. So who, who knows if you would have had a secular humanist counselor or a Christian person, if you would have been in church or, or anything like that to like go through these things. And if, you know, your ex is completely crazy and insane, then, you know, there's, there's no accounting for that really. But do you get what I'm saying? I mean, no one knows what would happen in your situation, but no one knows what's going to happen in any situation. And that's the point to just kind of like, you know, do the best you can, like consider all things, even though you can't consider everything. So there's plenty of stuff pre-marriage counseling misses. But I mean, the goal is just to give a marriage its best possible chance of success out of the gate, um, you know, th than just being like, wing it. Which, you know, having said that, I I did as you did. I didn't get counseling. I didn't ask anyone. I'm like, I'm pretty self-aware. And, um, you know, my wife and I didn't give it a lot of thought. And 
because of that, <laughs> we actually had some financial disagreements. And, uh, you know, one of us thought one way about managing finances and another thought a different way about managing it. Um, and that that was not a super fun time in our lives. Fortunately, uh, you know, we both still were, um, you know, we both still were committed. You know, we still had our faith. We still agreed on, you know, 90% of life. And we we made peace with that. Um, that could have gone the other way. And that would have been unfortunate. Um, anyway. No, no, if no. If I can break you up in the council room, then chances of a person making it in the marriage is not. Yeah, no, and, and it's interesting what you said, Nate, and, and so, like, yeah, full disclosure, I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't mind sharing. Um, the reason, I mean, so basically with my first marriage, we started having problems. I wanted to go to counseling, and she didn't, and that that's what eventually led to the breakup of the marriage, um, So, and I've got no problem sharing that. Um, so, and, and, and I think, I, yeah, I have a more clear understanding of, of, of what you mean, and it's interesting because I think it's because it's what I do. That as soon as you say counseling, I start to, I think maybe mentally I'm imposing a structure on it that you're saying doesn't exist. So it sounds like really what you're doing is just getting together and having a chat, which I have, which, 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 which then breaks down all the walls for me. It's like, yeah, if you want to go talk to somebody about something like that, fine, go ahead. It's more like that than the other thing. Oh, did I mention the blood sacrifice? Uh, I'm okay with that. As long as it's AB positive. Baby's blood. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's more like the chat than the other thing. That the what, by the way, what did you think the other thing was like? Like, I, I thought it was yeah, a more what picture. Did you have in yeah, your mind? Yeah, like I guess I thought it was a more structured, and that's why. And and it's funny because I'm glad there was a. I'm glad that we came to a better kind of sense of understanding about it, because there was a part of me that was about to kind of, um, quote unquote, you know. And I, I, I don't think I necessarily do this, and I'm glad I caught myself. Um, you know, but to kind of go off on Brandon's like, you know, what are your credentials? What are you doing counseling people? Right. Kind of thing. Right. But, but if, again, if you're just talking to people and asking advice, then I think that's totally fine. I do. I have spoken to people that have gone to, um, non-secular sources for counseling and have gotten terrible advice from someone who fancied themselves a counselor. And so that's, maybe that's where part of my, um, that, that's oh, no, part of it. my, up a little bit. No, part of it, I, I definitely have one of the recommendations to send you to a actual marriage counselor. I will Your make it clear. Really I will, bad, Brandon. Your audio is going to be bad see. all of a sudden. Yeah, I will, I I will say a part of it, I oh, definitely recommend yeah. sending you to an actual marriage counselor. My, my advice will definitely be limited to a uh, a spiritual perspective. Now, I will hit on some natural things and definitely talk about that money because I don't think you have to have a well, you know, well, I actually have a lot of education in money, so I'm probably more qualified to talk about that than the actual marriage counselor. So I, I feel more qualified to talk about that, but I, I will ask you, um, I will send them to a marriage counselor, but I will talk to you about that from a pastoral standpoint. But yeah, I think most of our pastors are, are actually encouraged to send to a actual marriage counselor, but yeah, our, 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 we're encouraged to do that. My goal is, I guess, to kind of get a little mess stirred up, to kind of see what the chinks are so they can work on improving that. Yeah, that, yeah I think, I, I think, I think the word counselor. This, yeah, and so was, I think having this discussion actually kind of softens me a little bit to the idea. All right, Michael approves of what you do, Brandon. <laughs> then we start speaking in tongues real loud. and then. It... <clears throat> yeah, that, 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 uh, yeah we, we, we may part ways there. D, you want to contribute to any of this? What are your thoughts on, on premarital counseling, premarriage counseling? Um, uh, I actually, 
I actually end up getting on a phone call because I actually wanted to talk about the Michael Wash thing or Mike Wash thing. Did we pass that already? Oh, oh. Well, I think we just wrapped this one up. So go ahead and go ahead and go back to Matt Walsh. Okay, so I feel like our society needs to understand that there are gender roles that play a part in making sure that it functions properly. And I say that because I, it's very telling to me because in like, due to, and I'm, I'm gonna go a little bit historically, in the black community, a lot of the male structure was removed due to slavery. So a lot of times there's a lot of black women who are were out here fighting battles and doing these things and, you know, just without the covering of having a protector, a male, because of how it was structured to break down the family. And so for me, it's very annoying to hear liberal women um, talk about all of this, this, uh, you know, men, we should be doing what men doing. And you never really had to do that. Like, I feel like you always have had a um, a safety net to where you didn't have to be protected. So now you just want to go out there and fight all these battles. And to me, I think maybe we should just let these liberal women fight these battles and feel what it really means to not have that structure, which is happening and it's chaotic. So I think it's very... Um, when you don't have to fight, when you... It's like the freedom that we have... Um, in America is God given, but when it's never, when it's never, uh, when it's not really taken from you, you know, it's easy to try to create unnecessary problems. I don't know. Do you guys get what I'm saying? I do. I'm, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think I get what you're saying. Um, I disagree with you. Yeah. I think that until you're in a situation where you're not covered, um, and I know a lot of women who have not been covered, they don't want to carry that burden. We don't. I know a lot of Black women don't want to carry the burden of being everything for everyone when you have done it for years. So I just think it's just, um, and I'm not saying they're not, you know, Black liberal women. I just think that they just gave up and it's just like, well, we've been doing it this long. We might as well. But I don't think that that's their fight. I think a lot of white liberal women need to understand that when you don't have the covering, it's easy. When you have it, it's easy to um, push this agenda Take of wanting to do all of this. It's a luxury. Right. Thank you for so much. It's a very much so. It's a luxury. Your two-parent nuclear household with your dad, your 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 biological dad and biological mom with oh man, I tell people I say be, being being a cultural uh, <laughs> abnormal deviant is 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 is, is a sign of uh, you know they with it to my privilege. I'm like yeah yeah being being uh being deviant. Is- I definitely agree with that. It's very much so a luxury. And um, people take it for granted. And so that's why I'm doing the complete opposite with my daughters to make sure that they know that a man has a role, a woman has a role. You know, the man that you should be with should understand where you're coming from so that he can make a decision that still covers you and take your uh, opinion to uh, make those decisions. But at the end of the day, let him cover you. You don't have to be out here by yourself. So I just, I just feel like 
this liberal agenda is just going so far left that it it's just not making sense anymore. Oh, you 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 know you preaching to the crowd because I've said this for years. Like a lot of this stuff is is being geared like oh it's like it's, it, it is used it is used to face especially the black community like it's our friend but it's something that has been engineered for I feel like the, the destruction of the black community and. I feel like when you kind of stand up and, and you speak against it, like you 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 are colored like you're an Uncle Tom, and I tell them like this, all, all of this stuff, like you know, I, I mean, I I have been so kind of like, I feel like the further the community has gotten away from conservative beliefs, the the worse it's gotten, and the only thing they have done is use the civil rights struggle to to actually be the the. The how can you say the bludgeoning ram for the LGBT and and we're left with all of these broken families and we're the I like I tell my family like my kids and stuff I'm like my daughter I'm like look I don't care how nice they are all of this you need to make sure that if you're a woman you make sure he doesn't love you until he gives you your name and you're not and you you until you get his name and you're you have his signature on something that's legally yours he's not serious about you. Uh, because that's what love is. Love gives you ownership. Uh, it, but you know, that, I ain't gonna get on get on that soapbox. But I, when I married my wife, uh, she got ownership of stuff, and I, I feel like this that that's I, I ain't even get off it. That 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 is a that is a hot topic with me. That is a very hot topic. Uh, Sean, you have anything to say about this? I got a whole lot to say on this topic. <laughs> Do it about two minutes because I got to run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, in short, Brandon, I agree with you that we we need to uh, tell the truth about family, what the family is made up of, and it's a man, woman, and children. That's just the bottom line. Husband, wife, children. And then you, of course, then you got your grandparents aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, and nieces, but then you also have your extended family. Because I don't know about you, when I grew up, the whole block whooped your behind and called, and called, and called, I just had to whoop your son, and then I got it when I got home again. <laughs> That's old school. <laughs> um, but we need to get back to that. We, we have lost the, the idea of extended family so bad that someone's we don't even know who our next door neighbors are. It, which is it, it's interesting. I, I so going back to a, a couple of things. One, I think the the idea of kind of like, um, I don't know. I I prefer the company of equals, um, and my wife and I are partners. Um, you know, we are fifty fifty in everything, uh, and that's 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 what works for us. Um, but I also think it's interesting. I have a we have a little plaque in our in our family room upstairs um, that says uh, "Friends become our chosen family." So uh, I do think there's some uh, some good in what you said there, uh, Apostle. I think that that uh, you know extended family, you know, and for for us, it's our friends, right? That that uh, and there are friends. I like we both have friends that uh, we are closer to than family members. For various reasons, but um, I think I agree mostly with what you said. Well, thanks everyone for being here. And, um, it was a good discussion, but I have to run. <laughs>
Apostle, you want to say something real quick to Michael? Uh, well, thank you, Michael. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, see, because the neighbors were our friends when I was coming up. And uh, not just on the, the one block. I'm talking about four, five, six streets down. And then three more blocks to the left and right. So that's, what yeah. I'm, that's what I mean by extended family. Right. Well, everyone Thank thinks you, there was a there was a quick uh, thing. Uh, let's see. I'll just say, yeah, sorry, Max, I have to run. But a uh, quick question. If the Bible is only inspired by God, how is it reliable? Could anyone not just write a book inspired by God? Uh, we need to talk about what we mean by inspiration. So it, it's we believe the Holy Spirit of God is like living with these people, like inspire. I mean, inspiring them, not just like um, a muse, not not like a muse. If that's what we're talking about, like inspiration for art or music or something like that. But like this is this is God breathed. Like God willed this to be done and use people to pin it to paper. So it would be inspiration. But then has the Bible been changed? If so, how is it reliable? No, it hasn't been changed. Um, if Paul never met Jesus and the Bible is based on the letters of Paul, how is it reliable? Paul's letters are a small part of the Bible. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to answer this in rapid succession. But I'd say that. So Paul's letters are only a small part. But Paul, if you look at just look at the New Testament, right, the stuff from Jesus' birth, um, to his death and then all the way to the end of revelation um so if you just look at that they all say the same things like the stuff paul says like for the for the most part it's just redundancy upon redundancy so paul in his same letters to different people all say the same thing and then if you look at at other writers and the other gospels matthew mark luke john they all say the same stuff about jesus so it's not just like one book is saying hey i have something new take this book and then we have to worry about the veracity of that author or that religious experience or that person it's like they're all saying the same thing so jesus says believe and you'll live forever and this is all in the gospels and multiple times in the gospel says you know jesus says believe in me repent ask for eternal life i'll give it to you paul says the same thing in romans it says you know if you believe in your heart god raised jesus from the dead and you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. Peter says, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's this theme throughout the whole New Testament. Salvation is free. Eternal life is free. It's a given. Just reach out to God, pray to God, pray to Jesus, say, make me born again. I want to have eternal life. You say we can freely have this. That's what I want. As to the reliability of just the whole thing, basically it's historical evidence. So it's eyewitness testimony. So if we trust that, um, that there's many so sources for, and they're compiled into this one book, um, then that's the evidence. If that's not good evidence, um, I understand that may not totally, because someone would say the Illuminati fabricated it or something like that, even though there's no um, no accounts disputing it. There's not one one place ever found, like the Dead Sea Scrolls or under a rock that says, no, no, I am this guy, and I lived during this time, and it's all lies. It was a secret plot. Um and if it was a secret plot, that's a really bad plot to have, right? Because the whole plot is it's free. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do rituals. You don't have to like do all kinds of crazy stuff. You just, you know, be a decent human, repent, stop doing bad stuff you know you shouldn't do anyway, turn to this God that we're talking about that created everything, say, give me eternal life. It's free. I don't have to pay anything. It doesn't cost anything. Um, that's it. So if it was like a really nefarious plan for like world rule or something like that, then they did a really bad job. So all these things think make you think that, yeah, the, the Bible has no reason to be falsified. It has no reason to lie. Um, it, its intent is pure. Um, so as far as reliability of what was written, I think these are just some of the things I would I would point you to. Anyways, um, yeah, if you want to know more about it, let's uh, jump, jump back in here tomorrow. Everyone else, we'll see you later. Thanks all.